Hey, welcome to Being Creative. My name is Rick Leaf, and as you know, I am the host of this show where we explore the value of creativity through stories of successes and failures of people like us or not like us at all. I'm calling this episode a creative carol because this week we're going to explore stories of creativity past, creativity present, and creativity yet to come. So if you've managed to miss the connection there, this is an episode designed to transform all you Ebenezer Scrooges out there so that you're inspired to tap into your wealth of creative uh, talents and gifts and abilities, education and experience to face the challenges in your life. These are stories of inspiration and innovation. We got, there's confusion and there's conflict. There's artists and politicians. We have an origin story, a war-torn country. And man, that's just the tip of the iceberg. So with our creative charcuterie board laden with delectable expectation, let us dive headlong into this week's episode. I'm glad you're here. So, you know, <clears throat> what inspired this episode this week um, uh, was me being in a group of people this year, a number of groups of, of uh, uh, can I start again? <laughs> I'm leaving that in because that was a failed beginning and I'm going to learn from it. What inspired me to want to talk this week about this particular subject was a number of um, opportunities I've had this year to be in groups of people who we knew each other from different periods of time. And so often you find yourself reminiscing about yesteryear, about, you know, some people call them the good old days, that I love this uh, song by... uh, one Republic, he's uh, something about, you know, I refuse to look back and, and say that the older days were, were better days just because they were older or whatever. Um, some people uh, in, these, in, these op- in these kind of social situations that I found myself in, some people <clears throat> uh, would define themselves, still define themselves by their failures or by things that happened to them. In some ways, in in some instances, many, many, many years ago, like decades ago, and it's still how they define the narrative of their story for their life, what they are even capable of. Um, And and sure, you know, maybe you've heard that you're come out of your own mouth. Sometimes I know I have, but it was just interesting to uh, be sitting there in a conversation, hearing them maybe go to a different conversation uh, a, a week later and be with other people that, you know, were reminiscing about yesteryear, and some of them never mentioned their past at all when we knew each other. They were living fully in the present, you know, their relationships with the past, their job, their activities, their hobbies, their passions, whatever it happened to be, they never even referenced it. Now, I don't know if that was just because their life is so full right now that they just, that they're consumed with talking about what they're talking about right now. Or or whether it's just like, yeah, that was then, this is now, move on, you know? There were even others that I would call them a third category. They acknowledged their past. They would, yeah, they would talk about their failures, even their faults, um, professionally or personally. Um, But then they would apply those insights and observations to what they're doing now. And almost more importantly, how uh, or why they're doing what they're doing now. So... Think about that for your own self as we traipse through this tale of creativity. Um, I'd like to start this episode with, you know, the Tribe of One origin story. If you don't know me very well or you don't know much about my story, Tribe of One is a, a national collective of indigenous and settler artists. Uh, there's painters and poets and dancers and musicians. And uh, over the years, it's it's uh, had a very, you know, lots of different participating and principal artists and guest artists. And so uh, it's more the concept of the, what's made Tribe of One what it is rather than, say, originally when we started, 
it was eight particular individuals. There was four musicians and two dancers and two painters that would paint live on the stage and the dancers would choreograph, you know, most of the songs and, and either, you know, through whatever kind of um, dance mediums they had. That was how Tribe of One started. That was back in like 1998 or something like back when dinosaurs, you know, were roaming the earth and, and uh, YouTube didn't exist. Uh, and the way that all came about was it was creativity that was born from opportunity. Uh, you, you have to experience stuff to dream other stuff up. And so that original, the tribe origin story comes, uh, that creativity comes out of relationships, uh, Literally, you know, we put a band together. We're downstairs writing music. We had this one particular song that really, really kicked. And the dancers were upstairs having coffee. The two dancers were partners with two of the musicians. And so they'd kind of come along to the rehearsal and they're sitting upstairs just hanging out talking. And this song really landed if you're a songwriter and you've written with a band or maybe you're you know you show your new song to a band and and it really they bring their creativity there there's nothing quite like that moment when a song really comes out of the ether out of wherever they come out of sometimes i i always just i describe it as you know the creativity that comes from deep deep inside of us and we're kind of like you're drawing it up as a songwriter you're drawing this inspiration and these ideas out of deep inside of your soul or your your spirit or whatever wherever it comes from or else sometimes it does feel like you're you're reaching out into the universe out into the cosmos and you're you're trying to bring something you know down from way up and out there in the heavens kind of a thing down here on earth i don't know how you describe it if you're a songwriter or or whatever your creativity is but uh that's what it was like this night it landed in the room and it they could hear it through the floorboard. So this one dancer came running down the stairs and just, when we finished, and just said, I could totally picture choreographing a dance for that song. And that conversation, that moment, that song, is what inspired Tribe of One, because then the other dancer was like, well, you know, I could choreograph stuff too. And we started to go, well, let's work with you. Um... To, to choreograph not just, you know, this dance for, you know, but like let's put together our set the same way. And, and at the same time, you know, uh, one of the musicians was with a painter and the painter was set up uh, working on paintings uh, right outside the rehearsal space. And so as the band was showing up week after week after week, they would see these paintings uh, in various stages of completion. And if you're not a painter, which I'm not, uh, to be able to see the process of how a painting came together was, I would say, as fascinating, at least, as the finished product. And we were kind of inspired by this idea of, like, what if we could let the audience in on the process uh, as the art form so that... Um, the expectation really wasn't so much on the finished product, but what would that be like if you were sitting in the audience and the lights come on as the band hits the stage and there's an easel with a blank canvas. And as an audience member, you sit there and watch uh, as that canvas is transformed from absolutely nothing Uh, over maybe the course of an hour and a half or two hours, however long the set is, uh, to a finished, completed painting. And so we did that. We had two painters, and they would set up on either side of the stage, and they would paint throughout the stage from a blank canvas to a finished painting. And the dancers would be coming and going, uh, using different costumes and and props and and uh, choreographing either together or solo dances. And so it was a very visually rich show. It was a really creative show, and and uh, we did that for a number of years as those eight um, initial artists. And then, you know, life kind of moves on and sometimes the swirl takes you out of that moment because you're expo- you need to experience other things. And so we did. And over the years, Tribe of One, it took, you know, it had seasons where um, 
it kind of goes into a time of resting and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's time to come together. And it's usually different people that are together. It has become, um, back in 2005, it kind of relaunched as more of an indigenous, uh, collective with my business partner, Maria Jose, who is, uh, uh, Métis and, she just kind of opened up the world to uh, lots of different Aboriginal dancers. And so it took on this very, you know, this kind of a whole new life. And it has been that for now the last, you know, 17 years or so. Uh, I bring this up because creativity, we need people around us who will inspire us, who will challenge us. Uh, it, it's almost impossible for us to sit there with no sort of external um, influence or something to help us connect the dots, to, to even see the dots so that we can connect them in way, ways that others don't. And I feel like the way Tribe of One started was one of those classic examples of what you think is normal, someone else finds amazing. And, and this is true of almost everything and everyone. You know, for us, we're just writing a song. And at that point, I mean, I knew that there was that magical moment when the, the song landed and it was great. <clears throat> I wouldn't have thought of connecting that with live dancers choreographing based on not just like at the time back in those late 90s you know there was the Britney Spears and the Christina Aguilera's and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and there were lots of dance either the performers were dancing uh or they would often in those you know um performance uh, in those um oh what's the word I'm looking for you know, award ceremonies. You'd often see them hire, you know, a whole bunch of dancers, but those weren't collaborating with the musicians. The musicians weren't collaborating with the songwriters. Like, that was what made Tribe so different, is that it was all a full collaboration, and the minute you started adding these different artists from different art forms, then your set list and everything about how you were creating and what you were creating was all different than it ever would have been on your own. There was a, you know, the the concept of synergy and synesthesia, where the the sum total of the parts, you know, so is somehow greater than just if you added them together. There's this X factor that comes together uh, that that is born out of those kinds of creative collaborations. So. <clears throat> That's what that was. And I, we need to, to be creative, to be, um, we, we have to have those relationships that give us opportunities to see the world from a way we haven't seen. That's probably one of the worst things that's happened in this world of social media and online, living online so much where we, we find ourselves in echo chambers and everybody sees the world the way we do and nobody's challenging you uh, unless it's just like to troll you. This was like relationship, uh, friendships, relationships, looking eye to eye, trying to work things out and ideas. And, and, you know, one of the things that came from that, here we are as a, as a band. We're essentially a rock band in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada that have dancers and painters. And we're playing in bars and pubs and clubs. And, and that was also the, also the other kind of fun thing about it. We were taking the dance out of, you know, dance halls where people would expect it. We were taking art out of the art galleries. And we were kind of bringing those art forms into, you know, going on stage at one in the morning at a club or a cabaret or a pub or an outdoor festival or something uh, it was there was something unexpected um, that really heightened the anticipation as we hit the stage and people were just like, what is this? What's going on? And it was at that time we were, oh man, just the amount of time I look back on it, the amount of time we literally just spent hanging out. If we weren't practicing and writing or recording, you'd be uh, showing up to have a party or hang out or just jam or, or talk. And it was before that era of everybody being lost in their phones. So we were like actually present. And what's funny now 
I can just imagine if we were doing that. And you know, it wasn't just our band. We were a part of this collective of other musicians and other bands and other writers and poets. And so you'd get there in these parties of 20, 30 people, 40 people, who knows, packed out in this house. And everybody's just talking about what they're doing, what they're creating. And and you're just, you couldn't help but go away inspired. I, I remember one filmmaker uh, we, we hired him to help us film our first little promo video. And we really didn't have much money at all. He was probably doing it honestly, just out of a favor. And he said, okay, I'll bring my handheld camera. I'll just film you. But then he came to a rehearsal and he came to the warehouse that we'd got to, to film this thing. And as we're talking and hanging artwork and doing all this kind of stuff and jamming through the songs, he is getting more and more energized and it's igniting his creative inspiration. And all of a sudden he's like, well, if I brought my jib crane, I could get this kind of a shot. And the next thing you know, he's loading in all of his gear uh, because he was inspired. And that is what I'm kind of like, I've realized we have to have creative relationships that will help to inspire us to see the world and ourselves in ways that we haven't and wouldn't on our own. And I think, you know, when I referred to some of those people that are living in the creative past in, in some of these recent conversations, it's like you'll find somebody and invariably the people who are looking backward either with regret or backward with fondness or living back in the good old days, those people, those people are almost. I can't think of an ex exception where they are not living a life in isolation at this point. So they don't have those relationships to inspire them to see themselves in the world in a different way. They don't have uh, those people in their life to walk into a room and be creatively energized when maybe your battery's running a bit low. So. It's important, so important for us to have those and cultivate those. And I know it's easy to say, because if you're sitting in a time sometimes that we're just in a quiet space, and certainly with COVID going on in the, in the world where there's been lockdowns and social distancing and all of that stuff, that's just further complicated uh, what, what it means to get together uh, and to have those relationships and those opportunities. I know that we're all probably craving for them in our own ways. One of the things that um, came out of that era, that, and, and I bring this up because it was really, uh, we, here we are in Winnipeg, just a rock band. We're just playing and doing this thing. We, we're blowing our own minds, I'll be honest, but, um, and, and different people in our community were also really jazzed and, and happy to be part of this, and it was a really exciting time. We were realizing that art was much more than just entertainment, than just idle distraction. I remember one of the people in the community was like, you know, um, we're, we're led to believe that art and music, the arts, let's just say, are like the window dressing. They're the icing on the cake, but they're not the real meat and potatoes of life. That's the economy. That's, you know, <laughs> business and whatever. And then you realize, no, this is the heart and the soul of a community of an individual, of a country, of our world, the culture that grounds us, that inspires us, that helps us make sense of the world, that gives voice to those things that are inside of us, the confusion, the conflict, uh, as creativity has something to do with everything from resiliency and conflict resolution and team building and, and, and everything else. To be creative is probably the most important thing any of us uh, can do and need to do to succeed in this world. And so here we are, we're, we're having this revelation and on the screen at the time, this was again, 1998-ish um, or 99, somewhere in there, the TV screen is filled with the conflict that's happening in the Balkan region and Serbia is bombing Kosovo and we, we're, we're seeing all of these people that are fleeing from Kosovo into Macedonia. There's this massive... Um, refugee camp, 300,000 plus people who have fled their homes, and there's all of this horrible stuff going on. And, and you know what? There I was sitting in my living room in Winnipeg, and I'm like, I could do something about this. I have within my ability with my band and myself as an artist, I could do something. 
And uh, I've, I discovered that the Foreign Affairs Department of Canada, had a, they were looking for pilot projects uh, for this new program, uh, Children in Armed Conflict. And I drafted this pilot project that basically said Tribe of One would like to go to Macedonia, to that refugee camp. And um, we'd like to do concerts every evening, and we would like to do art therapy kind of workshops during the day, painting workshops with students and kids and, and uh, music um, workshops and, and share music and, and write music and play with musicians that were in the camp and, and, and dancers and have, because one of the, the things that was coming out of the camps is like, there's so much trauma. There's so much going on. That's super serious. There's also an incredible element of just boredom. There's nothing to do. You're caught in this tent. You're, you're gone from your home, your family, your friends, and to have something to look forward to. And we were, we started, so I wrote this pilot project. Uh, I've realized you know, the, at the time, the foreign affairs minister was the member of parliament was Lloyd Axworthy. He, we were his constituents. Uh, and I, you know, found out through War Child Canada, I think we approached them and, and Dr. Samantha Nutt, who is the head of War Child Canada. I believe her partner was Lloyd Axworthy's like right hand man or, or somehow on his staff. And so we were able to take the pilot project, give it to Sam, who gave it to her boyfriend, who brought it up with Lloyd walking down the hallway. I've realized that's how things work in this world. Again, with relationships, right? Uh, Lloyd signs off on it. And the next thing you know, Tribe of One is going to, uh, we're approved to go to Macedonia, but God bless the government. They take so long to say anything to anyone that um, the war is over. Everybody's gone back to Kosovo. So they make us reapply, uh, which is fine, because now we got to go to Kosovo, go to Pristina. And it was there, it was part of a United Nations, uh, the return, it was opening of the National Theater. You want to talk about the value of art and culture. We met a number of students from the university. Uh, we were probably the youngest um, performers. There were performers at this event uh, from all over the world. Um, I think we were probably some of the youngest and so these university students kind of identified us and they said, hey, could we give you a tour of our school or of our, of our city? And it was bombed and it was just, it was, it was. and they took us out and we started walking around. And, and that was where we said, we found out for the last 10 years. So if they're university students, basically their entire teenage and early 20s, they weren't allowed to be out on the street in groups of, you know, more than two people kind of thing. They weren't allowed to be out. They weren't allowed to talk their own language. They weren't allowed to go to school. They were, they were allowed to, in the theater, they could be stagehands, but they could never be actors or directors or producers. And as they started telling us the story, you realized how important culture is. Because if you can rob culture from a people, that's, yeah, all of that, the identity, the sovereignty, the pride, everything that comes from helping us articulate who we are, what our values and our hopes and our dreams are, everything. Uh, so we had this incredible time uh, there doing what it was that we did. Uh, that, that experience inspired me for basically to this day. It is, it is, um, I've never forgotten that moment, how put me as an artist, as a creative individual in the most um, dire, serious uh, situations, and I have something to offer. Uh, I was recently in a community where there'd been a number of suicide attempts, and they'd lost a couple of students, and I was able to be there. And it was a really significant uh, project to be able to be there. That, that was the best time for me to be there. That was the, the most valuable that uh, songwriting and video and storytelling ever is uh, to help students have an opportunity to find a way to express what's going on inside of them. So 
that experience, that sort of creativity past, how Tribal One came about was all through the relationships, the, the relationships that inspired uh, looking at the world in different ways, which then gave me even the, the ability to see things in a way that nobody else did, uh, which was to watch the serious thing of refugees on the other side of the world going through this incredibly... Um, horrific time and say, I could help and I want to help. And somebody makes that happen. You know, I just heard that Pink Floyd got together for the first time in 28 years or something like that to write a song for Ukraine and what's going on there. So I, you know, lots of people have done this, certainly not just, you know, me at all. Uh, there's lots of experiences where artists and creative people find ways to bring their unique uh, talents and gifts and abilities to some of the darkest times of life and bring light and hope. And that's what we need. If we were to jump from, I'm just going to take a little sip of water because, woo, <clears throat> I get excited talking about this. So creativity present. I'm going to, I'm just going to hold on to this creative Carol, uh, framework for telling this story in this episode. So you little Ebenezer's out there. Um, if I, I'm just going to wrap this idea because it's jumping into my head. I think if you look back on the challenges that you've gone through and you're like some of these people that I just met, you know, in this year that are looking back with longing, like that was the best years of your life, 20 years of your life. I, I don't think that's probably true. I don't. And I certainly don't think anybody reached their creative pinnacle 20 years ago. You could have had a moment. You could have had a super successful song. I did. You could maybe have, you know, a TV show or some idea or, or like this idea of going to Kosovo where you, you, you know, you write a pilot project, you submit it to the government and they fund it and they send you on the other side of the world. I did. I had that experience. I've written probably 20 to 40 pilot projects and proposals and grant applications since then that have all come to nothing, but that doesn't mean that that one, because somebody accepted it, meant that that was the pinnacle or uh, that I reached a, you know, the, my potential back then. Not at all. So we need to look back and say, if that was the greatest time, if I'm looking back, what was it about it that made it the greatest time? And I almost guarantee you, you had more in... Um, you had more people in your life, maybe more opportunity. Maybe you were younger, you had more energy, so you were out and about. There was just more uh, energy around you to energize you, inspire you. Uh, and maybe you need to take a tiny little step to uh, inject some of those opportunities into your life right now. If you happen to find yourself stagnant or left alone and isolated, where can you find even one or two people, even one night a week or a month that you step outside of your comfort zone to go to a place where you might be inspired? I throw that out there for your consideration. <laughs> the creative present. I, I got to tell you, so, you know, I, I'm looking back at that, that whole... Um, seeing on the TV these refugees and going, I, I could do something about that. Uh, I'm going to tell you, my own present. Um, it was back in September of last year. I, I do lots of work in schools doing creative mentorships and, and filmmaking and, and video and songwriting and slam poetry and stuff. And I, was, I had a really busy fall. And I found myself in a school in September which in Canada is when school starts. And I think largely because of COVID, uh, there were six to eight teachers out every day. I, I talked to teachers and they're like, there's 20 to 30% of each class was missing on a given day. So every day I went uh, to this school, I was there for a week. It was absolute chaos. It, the in the office, the administrators, the secretary, whoever happened to be there, they're, they're trying to scramble. You, I remember, you know, substitute teachers are walking in and, and somebody's just handing them a folder and saying, I'm sorry, there's no lesson plan. The teacher just called in like half an hour ago. Um, 
go upstairs, turn to your left, you're going to find the room, uh, you know, figure something out to do today. You know, like, they're just, people are coming in, there's no plan, there's no time for planning, there's not enough subs, there's not enough teachers, I... And, and this was the deal. I walked out into the hall and I saw these, these teachers that are standing there like huddling up, <laughs> talking to each other, about three or four of them. And they were talking about, you know, yeah, man, it's, it's incredible. You got 30% of the class out every given day. How are you supposed to like teach anything? There's no continuity. There's no way to get through any of this stuff. And as the bell rang and everybody starts scattering to their respective rooms, one of them says to the rest, just we just got to hang on till June. <laughs> oh, it was so sad. We got to hold on for 10 months. Just hold on, everybody. And I thought, man, I walked down that hallway and I thought, I could do something. I could help. Like, how could I help? And I've spent most of this last year developing something called the Creative Resource Center about, as I talk to these teachers, it's like uh, having access to, say, videos that you could show your students that would inspire them, that show them storytelling, maybe about themes that are important, like resiliency or being the change you want to see in the world or anti-bullying or whatever. And I thought, I have videos. And, and I, wrote, I went back and I wrote lessons that... Uh, based on those videos so that you could show this video and then you could like print off this PDF and have this lesson to show, uh, to work through that theme with your class, with your students. Uh, I had, I know that there's lots of teachers who aren't musicians. And when I do come to the school and I fill schools with music, I play music a lot. I teach them songs that I've written with other schools and, and we write songs together. I know that there's lots of teachers who come up to me and they're just like, it is just so great to have music in the school. I'm not a musician myself. I just love it. The students love it. It's so important and valuable. And I thought, well, geez, you know, I, I have all of these songs that I've written with school. I could record these songs. I could create lyric videos that would make it really easy for teachers to be able to incorporate music into their classroom, uh, even if they're not musicians themselves. And so we did that. We included that. I had a, a, um, a support worker, I don't know what they're called, officially, you know, teacher's assistant or something, TAs, I don't know. But uh, I was in a school this year, and, and one of them was talking to me about how much they appreciated their new principal that was there that year. And they said, I've been a TA for 17 years, and this is the first year I've had uh, that we've had as TAs any kind of professional uh, support, any kind of professional development or support. And I thought, that's criminal. Like, that's terrible. Why in the world would that be? So I thought, my gosh, you know, I have the material for that. If I would just sit down and happen to be a writer, so I was like, I could sit down and write the chapters, take the chapters that I'm writing for this next book I'm working on, and put those into flip books uh, for creative development, pro-D, creative development resources for teachers and TAs and anybody else in the school, because we're all in this together. As we're saying, you never stop growing, you never stop needing inspiration and, and I've also realized, you know, we don't necessarily just need somebody to get up on the stage and beak off for half an hour. You know, no offense to all of the beaking off <laughs> preachers out there who do that week after week. Uh, I, 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 I pick on preachers just because I remember this one. Uh, he's a, an English professor that I know who used to be, before he became an English professor, he was a preacher. And I remember him going on this very articulate and intelligent rant about how church, uh, I think he was talking about evangelical church, but he was kind of mocking how it was like the worst of everything. You, uh, If you were going to do music, you know, uh, so I'm, this is a rabbit trail, but let's hope it's fun, okay? He's talking about these evangelical services where you show up and there's like three and a half songs, you know, to start off. I, you know, I'm kidding, but three, four songs. Uh, well, 
if you were going to do a concert like myself, you know, you want two or three 45 minute sets. That really lets you as a musician set the tone to really go somewhere thematically or, or, you know, you can have dance songs and slow songs and thoughtful songs and songs that are minor keys and songs that are majors and anthems. And you can really take an audience on a journey when you have 45 minutes to an hour and a half. So three, four songs, it's like the worst format for taking anybody anywhere musically. And then you stop and then there becomes this like preaching or, or some of them would call it teaching time. And that might last for half an hour. And this prof preacher slash, you know, become professor said in an educational sense, the last thing anybody ever, the, the worst way to learn anything is to just sit there and listen to somebody beak off. You have to write a paper. You have to research stuff. You have to read books. You have to engage in dialogue that makes you think about things in different ways. And so he's like, if you want to educate people, having them sit there for decades of their life for a half an hour, once a week, listening to somebody with no application with no opportunity to feedback, to challenge a thought or idea, to disagree, to write a paper, to do any kind of research. He's like, it's just the worst. And uh, I just remember thinking it was like so hilarious that way. So uh, that was when I thought about these flip books. I'm like, we don't need another, you know, inspirational meme or something. We need concrete ideas that say, here's the idea why creativity is so important in your life. And if you happen to be blocked, here is a, an application. Here's something that you can do about it. Here's some questions to answer. Here's the form. Yeah, I remember taking a, a course from the University of Winnipeg about um, career management for self-employed artists. And it was so brilliant. One thing was the very first night. They said, you know, a lot of people don't get, a lot of artists, professional artists, don't get where they want to go in their career because they've never actually set a destination. They have, they have no direction that they even say, that's where I want to go. And if they do, the second reason they don't get there is that they've never broken down the plan to say, if that's where I want to go, well, what's the first step I have to take? And then what's the second, third, fourth, hundredth, and thousandth step that's going to take me toward that goal or objective? That was what I did. Took all of these ideas, all of this kind of training that I've done myself that infuses and fuels my own inspiration and career and managed to, to write that out uh, and produce these flip books. Uh, I include episodes from this podcast so that whatever it happens to be. So, so anyway, I take this creative resource center and I've spent months. I've invested thousands of dollars. I have no idea, you know, talking about the risk and the reward in that hallway. All I can tell you is that I know why I was motivated to spend all of this time and money on developing this creative resource center. It's because I saw teachers and by extension, the students in schools that I go to year after year, I saw them struggling. I saw them looking for resources that would help. Um, and I thought I can do something about this. And I really believe I can. And that has been what I've worked on right now. And it's caused me to work with people that I've never worked with before, never know, who are skilled and gifted in ways that I am not, like web development, like synthesizing all of my ideas down into a concrete sort of uh, formula that we can develop. It's been really, really exciting. And I'm like, depending on your challenges in your life and where you're at. And I, I feel like, you know, we're not looking in the past now or if we're, we're recognizing, I think the, the healthiest thing that we could possibly do is look at those experiences in our life, failures and successes and say, you know, how does it um, prepare me for what it is that I'm really passionate about doing right now? And I think one of the things, you know, I look back at my fearless 20 year old self, man, I would... I would just risk anything. I would get up on any stage. If I wrote a brand new song, I would play it for everyone. And they weren't the best songs. Most of them, I don't ever, never want to play again. And that wasn't even the point. It was at the moment, it was like, hey, I'm really excited about this. 
and I really had no agenda. I really didn't have an ego involved. It was just like this really blew my mind and it really excited me and made me made my day better. Maybe it'll make your day better. I'll just play it for anybody. Back when I was playing my guitar with two strings, like that's all I could play. I put my two fingers on two strings. I just slid them up and down the uh, the neck of the guitar in the same um, shape. And all I just needed was just like a root for my melody so that I could sing over top of it. And, I'm, and I realized, okay, I'm much better at what I do. And I have much more skills and talents and abilities and maybe more... Um, I don't know why at this point in my life, what would cause me for, to be more hesitant, um, uh, more afraid even of taking that creative risk and throwing myself out there. I, I've shared on this podcast and, and I do often share, you know, I've realized whether I'm in a recording studio working with professional um, musicians, whether I'm on a, a set working with professional, you know, cameramen or producers or directors or actors or whatever, uh, or in a school, an elementary school with a bunch of grade three or fours, you know, that, or in middle school, you know, where, where everybody's afraid of taking a step out because they don't want to be mocked or made fun of or bullied or whatever. We all need that safe place that safe and supportive environment that will encourage us to take a creative risk and let us know that if we do fail, and if it does all kind of fall apart, or if it does end up to be a train wreck, that that's okay, that we'll learn from that experience, that we'll go on, that we'll carry on, and we'll take what we've learned from that and apply it to our next situation. So, you know, if you don't have that, that's really hard. If you don't have that, and I haven't always, I've learned to start being that for someone else. And I don't know necessarily how to explain half the things that I, you know, experience in this life. Uh, I, I kind of mock Oprah's um, from years ago. I never really watched Oprah, but I remember this one episode where it's just like, yeah, you, if you do this, it'll come to you or something. You know, if you, if you throw this out to the universe at any year, wildest dreams will come true. It was like Oprah sounded like Napoleon Dynamite trying to tell Pedro how to like get people to vote for him. Just tell them that your wildest dreams will come true and they'll vote for you. And I, I kind of feel like that was Oprah's like strategy and it worked for her. I don't feel that, but I do believe that from my own experience, when you when you step out to be that thing that you want for yourself so badly for someone else. And that was kind of what I started doing in schools. I'm like, I wished I had somebody at that point of my life that was like <clears throat> encouraging me to believe in myself and that my story was important and nobody really was around. It was a very lonely period of my life. I was like, screw it. I will be that for someone else. And I would go into schools and I still do and say, you're, you know, I'm here not to teach you English or grammar or spelling or punctuation or anything else. I'm here because I'm an author. And so are you. We are the authors of our own story. And there is no one better to tell your story than you. And some of our chapters, well, they might be like, that we're living in right now, they might be full of victory and success and adventure and they're amazing and awesome and they're full of ice cream and, and bubble gum and popcorn and whatever else that we love. It's just, woo, yeah. Or you might be in the depths of loneliness and despair. You might be having the worst friggin' time of your life, so alone, so over overwhelmed by the things in your life, not feeling that your fingernails are going to be able to hold on to sanity one more day. That might be where you're at. And whatever chapter you happen to be in of your story, it is valid. You don't need to explain it. You don't need to justify it. You don't need to defend it. Your story is your life. And so if I can come in and say, slam poetry or music or whatever, these just might be a way for you to be able to share that part of your story in a way that you didn't have when you woke up this morning. Maybe you didn't know, and maybe I could be that kind of relational moment like, you know, we've been talking since the beginning of this episode where somebody's like, I never even thought 
that I could do slam poetry. But if nobody reads my slam but me, then I don't have to worry about spelling. And we don't actually even use punctuation or correct grammar. Uh, and Rick's helping me, like, just to connect, like, different imagery or the way I might be able to say this or that. And all of a sudden, I find that I can get up and I can share my slam and I hear my story coming out of my mouth in my voice. And it is powerful. And I realize I am not alone because there are people in the room who are giving me snaps because they relate to what I'm going through. And that hasn't changed what I'm going through, but it changes how I feel about what I'm going through. And that is what I realize I can offer to this world. So you, wherever you're at, you know, you're not defined, none of us are, by the failures and the train wrecks that we've had in our past. We learn from them. We apply them uh, to what we're going through right now. And if what you're going through right now happens to be one of those lonely, isolated parts of your story, that sucks. It deserves to be said that that sucks. But you're not alone. And I hope in whatever way is possible, you're able to make that space for somebody else to experience the very thing that you want for yourself, because there is some element, God bless Oprah, there is some element of us attracting that thing that we so want uh, when we become that for somebody else. And just so I could stop babbling, I'm just going to take one more little tiny drink here. Creativity yet to come. You know, all these experiences, they have something to do with everyone, with everything and with everyone, you know? We have to be creative to face the challenges in our life. We need the relationships that will inspire and challenge us because creativity takes energy. It takes a lot of energy, emotional energy, physical energy, and mental energy. And so if I could... Speak to your future, dear listener. There is something I have identified in myself that has siphoned off more creative inspiration and energy and excitement and joy, not just for me, but absolutely for me, but for everybody around me. And that is this world that is kind of manifest in media, in social media, in connectivity through all of these things that we're carrying around in our pockets, um, people fighting with strangers on Twitter, people sharing these rage bait articles on Facebook, people that are consumed with conspiracies and the craziest crap you've ever heard in your life. But more than that, and then you watch the videos of people that are like, they're just in a grocery store and they're losing their minds over some absolutely inconsequential thing that happened. And people are, are there's so much going on in this world that is siphoning our creative energy our, our belief, our hope, our optimism, everything else. This will kill the creativity yet to come if you let it. And I want to just, <laughs> I'm not here to preach or whatever. I want to tell you a practical thing that I discovered. I should have looked up the guy's name before I started this podcast, but I didn't. Sorry. Maybe I could find it and put it in the, in the notes below, but... I read this article of this guy who created a app that would essentially kill your newsfeed on Facebook. He realized that the algorithm on Facebook, and, and Facebook's not broke, it's working exactly the way its designers wanted it to. It, they realized many, many years ago, they, they actually talk about this, no conspiracy at all, they, they fully admit it. They did studies of what type of content gets people to share um, content the most, uh, to spend the most time on the platform, because that's what they want, is for us to spend time on the platform, to share things, to engage with things. It's all about ad revenue, etc. They It wasn't about inspirational things, puppy kitty videos. It wasn't about humor. It wasn't about education. It was rage bait, things that made you mad, 
people shared and talked about more than anything else. And so those that type of content is prioritized through the algorithm. And this guy created this app that would unfollow everybody. It didn't unfriend everybody, but it unfollowed everybody in your every page, every person. And when you weren't following anybody, the Facebook algorithm doesn't have anything to go on to push rage-inducing articles and conspiracy and, and flat-out falsehoods and everything else. It has nothing to go on, and your newsfeed is kind of dead. Now, I love this because I hate Facebook. I keep it because I like Marketplace, and a lot of schools use it, and it's really great for me to be able to connect with schools that way. So I, I didn't want to get rid of it. At the same time, it's been going on for 15 years of my life. So, you know, I take it off my phone, but I'm just, it's become this muscle memory of distraction whenever I'm kind of sitting there, maybe at my computer should be focused on something. I'm like, oh, I'll just like click on Facebook. When I have those moments of weakness, which I do, uh, I click on it and there's nothing to see. It's just dead, uh, dead in the, in the best possible way. I can still go to Facebook. I could still go to anybody I want to. Uh, if I wanted to see, but it's just not there. It's not convenient. And once you take the convenience away and the ease of distraction away, all of a sudden it's too much work. And I'm just like, oh, this is stupid and boring. And I leave. It's great. I love it. Now, for his work, Facebook banned the guy and closed his account down. And in the article, he said, uh, I realized that most people wouldn't want to go through and manually un." follow everyone. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? So I did. I went through and I manually did that. Now, if, if that interests you at all, like I've just been like realizing I, I can hardly think of a time recently when social media has added value to my life. I think all of us should adopt this idea that every piece of content we create or share on social media at some point in your life, at some point of your intention, it sh you should be sharing it because you believe it will add value to somebody's life. Now, we would have vastly different <laughs> interpretations of what that meant or looked like, which is fair and fine. But I just think instead of sharing something just because is this going to add value to anybody's life? Because you know what? Nobody really cares. It's just keeping us in this loop and it's siphoning off our energy and our inspiration. And there's just not enough of that to go around to spend wasting on people and places that give us nothing back. So that was my little, my little tiny little practical victory in investing in creativity yet to come to kill at least one of the big siphons of my joy and inspiration in my life, which was Facebook, uh, to kill it so that it couldn't do that to me anymore. To remove it from my phone helped even better. Um, so yeah, that was the creative Carol. Um, so you know what? <laughs> I love talking about this stuff because being creative, it's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's a lifestyle I've pursued myself personally for over 20 years. I know many people who have. Creativity produces an energy, and that energy empowers resiliency and gives us the confidence to face the challenges that life throws at us. And that process creates momentum and that is what I hope for you and me so I hope you were inspired and able to relate today's episode feel free please to leave a comment ask a question and remember my friends you're capable of infinitely more than you have ever given yourself credit for so until next time <laughs>